Hello and welcome to another episode of Unqualifying Sessions with me, Amy. And I'm back after a break. Um, Because of that, I thought, do you know what? Let's sit down with a cup of tea or you can sit down for coffee or another type of beverage if it's past 12pm because it is 12 o'clock somewhere. So, you know, why not? And talk a little bit about the things that have happened whilst I've been away. Because I've not been producing as much content because I have been on holiday. Um, So yeah, so grab your beverage, take a seat and let's have a little bit of a bestie chat. Bestie conversation. Um, But I will, before we start, just make a little appreciation to American F1 fans who watch... Formula One Live. So, uh, whilst I was on holiday, I went to California. So, if you watch F1 Live, the race starts at like 6am, which is super early. So, you know, I I appreciate you because I get annoyed when Australia's on and that's at 6am. I'm like, I ain't getting up for that. So, you do that most weeks. So... I appreciate you. Anyway, appreciation over. Let's start. So I've written a little list. I'm going to take a quick sip of tea before we start spilling the tea, you know. A little bit of ASMR there, if you could hear me drinking tea. So I want to start off with Monza. So there's there's quite a few things, actually, to discuss with Monza. Um, so the first one, which kind of ties into the second point I'm going to discuss, is the Monza curse appears to be a real, real thing and still alive and kicking. So you don't know what the Monza curse is. Since Charles Leclerc won in 2019, every race winner the following year doesn't have a good race. Like, it's a DNF. So, 2019, Charles Leclerc wins Monza. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's Ferrari. It's crazy. 2020, he DNFs. In the 2020 one, with Charles DNF in, who wins? Pierre Gasly. Great. Redemption. He's had, you know, tough year in 2019 going to Red Bull then dropping back to AlphaTauri that win chef's kiss it was like redemption redemption but 2021 he DNFs and then another redemptive story in 2021 Daniel Ricciardo wins at Monza again tough year at McLaren um and this win was great everyone's like yeah woo People loved it. 2021, DNFs. It's a curse. It's a problem. They need to get like some, like sage, some crystals. They need to cleanse the Monza track. Like they need to get it and they need to go around that track and just be like, goodbye curse. This is bad. Like, honestly. So I'm telling you, if Max DNFs next year, I'm telling you, a curse. 
Christian Horner is going to be cleansing Monza next year. I can see it. He'll be doing it under cover of darkness. He'll he's going around with, with the sage and like cleansing the track next year. I can sense it in my bones. Awful, awful. But speaking of Daniel Ricardo, um, up until his DNF, he was doing quite well. Um, so a lot of people I saw on like Twitter while I was like woke up and was flicking through were like, oh my god. Maybe this is the end of the curse and da, 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 da. but unfortunately it was not. Um but because the Daniel Carter DNF happened so late in the race, so there's only a couple of laps left, it meant the race ended under a safety car. Which, if you look at the rules, was like one of the most likely things that was going to happen but because of it it obviously brought up conversations to do with Abu Dhabi last year um and I think the unfortunate thing is is that everyone knew that the rules were not done the way they should be and I think each time now something happens where the rules are followed and it kind of cements what has happened. It's always going to show that the rules are essentially were not followed. Um, I do find it kind of interesting because a lot of people are saying it wasn't that entertaining seeing something happen under a yellow flag and ending under a safety car, which I do understand and do agree with. It isn't as exciting, but at the end of the day, rules are rules are there. And sport is a really difficult thing because their rules need to be there for fairness, but also for safety. So you have to have these rules and that kind of has to surpass entertainment. The only thing that I can think of which would allow to kind of have the fairness and the safety but still have the entertainment and this is what I said about Abu Dhabi and I know a lot of people have said it is that perhaps if it gets to a certain point in the race where it's like we're nearly at the end you know I mean if it's like one lap to go two laps to go I don't think there's necessarily any point because it's like you know, unless there's a real battle, I wouldn't necessarily suggest this. But if there's like 10 to 5 laps left and there is a crash that does need clearing, that they're, you know, can't really continue the race, they know they can't continue race quickly under, I would suggest red flagging it. Because then it means that it's still fair because everyone's going to come in. And everyone's, let's be realistic, going to change their tyres. Um, and then you can have like a five to ten lap kind of sprint. And then there's kind of really no arguments. That could be the only way 
I could see fairness, like the and safety that you have because of the rules, but also the entertainment factor. If if it's so many laps to go, unless it they're literally right by an an exit, and like they have to get a crane or something like that. I do think maybe that could be an answer of, all right, we'll red flag it to allow for racing. But then it's a weird one because it's also like, it's it's just so difficult because the rules are there for a reason. And I think this year they are being very, they're trying to stick to rules as much as possible because of what happened last year. But I do think, I can see both sides. Like it's really hard. I can see the point of, Rules are the rules and they have to be followed. But I also understand it's not entertaining. Um, I think in this instance, because the rules were followed, it's a lot harder to just kind of make an argument of like, oh, it was just a bit boring. I think with Abu Dhabi, because the rules were not followed, there's not really an excuse. And if, in my opinion, if the team's, had said, you know, we do want racing, and this, in relation to Abu Dhabi, if it was me, I would have red flagged it, because it gives you, one, time to clear it away, probably makes it slightly easier, because there's no cars on track, you've not got to, like, wait for them to, like, go round, everything kind of resets, you've not got to let people unlap, you then will have the racing that you wanted, and I think, particularly, when it was a race where everyone was going in, you know, you had two drivers going in equal on points, that it would have been better to have, you still would have, would have had that spectacle. And then I think at the end of the day, no one really would be sat here like, oh, it's a farce or whatever. Um, So it's a difficult one. I think maybe they should have a look at okay, if it's not by an exit and we've got X, Y, Z number of laps left, we will red flag it to allow for there to be some racing and it's less likely to end under a safety car or a red flag. That's my opinion. Anyway, moving on, we do need to talk about Mr. Nick DeVries. Oh my goodness. First of all, I would like to say I'm very happy that Alex Albon is okay. Um, it sounded really scary what happened to him. Um, what seemed to be just like appendicitis and having the issue with um, the anesthesia was really, really scary. So I'm glad he's doing okay. Um, whilst obviously it would be great to see him at Singapore, if he is not ready to drive, do not let that man drive, please. And thank you let the man get better but if he is okay to drive well I think everyone will be happy to see him there um so hope you're good Alex can't wait to see you back on track once you're feeling back to 110 percent um but Nick DeVries wow I mean it really does show that kind of the importance of getting, you know, the people who win, like, 
F2 into the sport if possible or into in into uh, competitive driving because you know seeing him jump into that Williams and seeing him get points on his like first real F1 race was absolutely amazing and he did so well it was just like if he doesn't have the seat next year I think I might riot because like what more does he need to do I mean speaking of that I think I'm just gonna kind of skip a little bit ahead speaking of Nick DeVries so because of how well Nick DeVries did we do have a little bit of a silly season update now he's not signed anywhere yet but we do have some updates so the one kind of actually no i'm gonna start with this one yuki Tsunoda has been confirmed as staying with apatari for another year so congrats to yuki um on that you know i'm looking forward to seeing how he does next year i think he's definitely improved la- from last year um so can't wait to see what Yuki does next year. But in relation to the whole Williams situation, it was announced on Friday, I believe it was on Friday, yes, on the 23rd, that Nicholas Latifi will be leaving Williams. I think, I think the writing has been on the wall for this one for a little while. And when Williams kind of announced that essentially they don't really need a pay driver anymore. Not, uh, was that harsh? But if you don't need the money, when you have someone who has not driven the car, who's not as used to the car, who's not raced the car, coming in with someone who is established in that team and scoring points you do have to look at your driver you know you you do you know the only points Williams have is through Alex Albon the only points we was have now through Alex Albon and Nick DeVries. One of them who came in to fill in for Alex Albon. And I think, unfortunately, that Nicholas Satifi has just not had the splash in Formula One that he needed to have. And unfortunately you there's not compared to some of the other people whose contracts were up this year there's not i don't i don't think he's had a big enough moment in formula one to sustain staying in formula one and i when you kind of read his statement, it kind of 
it kind of sounded like he knew, like, I'm probably not going to stay in Formula 1 next year, which is a shame. It is sad to see people leave. You know, you kind of get accustomed to seeing people. But I, I just think that maybe... I don't know. I just don't... I, th- I think it's the right decision um, for the team. And... Um, I think this was very evident at Monza. I mean, you're now sitting, he's now sitting 21st in the Drivers' Championship. So unless he scores points in the next six races, he will finish 21st. So, um, yeah, it's not, at the moment it's not looking good and I do think if I was Williams, I would probably want Nick DeVries to to now take that seat. I heard apparently he did have some conversations, this is Nick DeVries, um, with Helmut Marco about possibly joining AlphaTauri. Part of me thinks, that's really difficult, um, Unless Pierre Gasly is going to Alpine, I think the most obvious choice would be to have Nick DeVries join Williams, if I'm being honest. Um, that's that's my opinion. And now speaking of silly season, because Yuki Tsunoda has been confirmed for AlphaTauri, I am going to purely look at this based on actual areas and seats that are free as we all know just because a seat is filled doesn't mean the person who is there will stay there okay so currently the teams that do have an empty seat are Alfa Romeo, Haas, Williams and Alpine. Now, on the grid of people who are out of contract, we have Guan Yu Zhou, Daniel Ricciardo, Mick Schumacher, and now Nicholas Atifi. Now, based on that, and there's four, four seats available at the moment. Each driver technically could be on the grid next year. By the sounds of things with Nicholas Latifi, I don't think he will be in Formula One next year. Meaning that there will be space. I'm going to do some predictions. And these are kind of hard. The only prediction I'm I'm actually going to say that I know for sure is I think Guan Yu Zhou will stay at Alfa Romeo. He's had a really good rookie year um, with that team. And I think it would be a shame to see him go. I think, you know, it takes a little while to, to really get used to everything. I mean, I think I saw something. Was it Christian Horner? Who said recently, like, it takes something like two or three years for a driver to really kind of get into the swing of things. So, and I think Guan Yu Zhou's done a really, really good job 
Um, I mean, he just kind of went in to it, didn't he? He just went into Bahrain, scored points on his first first race. I mean, come on, that's if that doesn't <laughs> show you how to do it, I don't know what will. Um, I think personally, I I if Nick DeVries doesn't go to Williams, I think Mick Schumacher would actually fit in Williams quite well. Um, but we shall see what happens because uh, there's a lot of talk at the moment, particularly regarding Miss Daniel Ricciardo, because he's not not much has really been said since the announcement that he's left, and it kind of just sounds at the moment. I I feel like sorry, tea sip because we're about to spill some tea. I feel like, from what... I do feel like he may be playing it down a little bit. In the sense of that he's kind of saying, you know, we're just trying to figure out, you know, do we take a little bit of a step back and then try to do 2024? Or do we, you know, stay on the grid, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about that. A lot of people saying, no, he just needs to stay in the sport because if you leave the sport, it could be harder to come back. And then there's other people saying, oh, you know, maybe take a step back is not a bad thing. You know, and I can definitely see both sides of that. I think if he does take a step back and say does get um, a reserve driver, because um, if he one of the rumors that has been going around is that um, Daniel Ricciardo will could possibly be a reserve driver for Mercedes. Now, what I do think about that, what I do think would be interesting is I think. Mercedes are very good at, you know, protecting kind of their own. I mean, I think that is the one thing I would say. Like, I think Mercedes is a really fantastic team. I really do. I think that Toto Wolf is an excellent job. And one thing I, I would say is I think that, they, like I said, they do a really, really, really good job of protecting the people in that team and making sure that they are good, that they are sorted. I mean, from what I can see, um, Daniel Ricciardo has a good relationship with George. He has a good relationship with Lewis. Yeah, apparently has a good relationship with Angela, who's um, um, Lewis Hamilton's coach. Um... He's, I've seen him talk to Toto, like, and pitch in the paddock. I think, actually, if he doesn't want, or, you know, it's difficult to get on the grid next year, being a Mercedes reserve driver isn't a bad shout for him. It really isn't. It's a good team. It's somewhere different. But at the same time, it kind of seems like he has good people there that would probably support him. I mean, I think... Like I said, it seems as though Mercedes and Toto want the people in that team to do well. Like, you see how Nick DeVries is out there. He's out there doing FP1s for, like, people laugh and saying, oh, he's doing, he's, you know, doing practice runs for all the teams. But at the same time, that's how you get them in the door, right? That's how you get them there and now he's done a test he actually did a race for Williams and boom there he is 
looks like he's going to be in Formula One next year, or he at least he's shown his talent enough. You know, um, when Esteban Ocon, for example, was then the reserve driver for Mercedes. Following year, when a seat was available, guess where he was? He was in Alpine. I don't. I I think, all in all. If that was the case, Daniel Carter, it wouldn't be a bad move if he can't get on the grid. Because I think, like I said, Mercedes want their people to do well. They give that vibe. And you can see that. Even, you can see it that even the relationship with Valtteri, with like Toto and Lewis, is still good, right? They all got on a private jet, coming back from one of the races. Like, it's a good relationship. And I think maybe after having... And not a great time at McLaren. Having a team, even if it is just as a reserve, to be there like, no, we got you, we got your back, we're going to make sure you do well, might help. It might kind of bring back that confidence. And if there's ever a situation where I know something, you know, look at the time when Lewis got COVID and George stepped in and did so well. I'm not saying that anyone's going to get COVID or anything like that, but you never know. Something could happen. You know, if you've got someone like Toto saying, oh, somebody's somebody's ill, Daniel Wimmer. Like, and don't forget, you know, a lot of the other t- teams like Mercedes um, kind of use, who use like their um, engines, they, they do sometimes use, use their reserve drivers. I mean, McLaren technically, <laughs> you still use Stoffel Van Dorn, who's a reserve driver for Mercedes, as a, one of their reserve drivers. Like, you never know. Um, but speaking of Daniel Cardo, if he doesn't become a reserve driver next year, and he does stay on, on a lot of people are saying, oh, but wherever he goes, it kind of be a bit of a step down. Which, arguably... Yes, unless he went to Alpine, it would kind of be a sidestep um, or possibly one step up if they finish ahead of McLaren. But they're quite evenly matched, I would say. So it would kind of be a sidestep, but sometimes you have to sidestep to go up, if that makes sense. Um, But anyway, one thing that I've seen two really uh, kind of who I really enjoy their content and the stuff they produce have talked about um, is pillow contracts. And the two people are... Uh, Luke Smith, who's journalist for, who's an F1 journalist, and also um, F1 Tony has also talked about this as well. And there's this really interesting article, which I will link kind of in the description. Now, this is not actually about Formula One. This is about English football, talking about kind of the pillow contract. And I think this could work really well for Daniel Ricciardo. And um, in this article by The Athletic, which is called English Football Meets MLB, which is um, Major League Baseball, because uh, I didn't know what that was. So, if you didn't know what that was, that's what it means. Uh, yeah, English football meets MLB: The Rise of Pillow Contracts by Adam Leventhal, and this was written on the fifth of August, twenty twenty-two. So, quite a recent article. And basically, I'm going to give a, a summary of essentially what the article talks about. Now, in Major League baseball it's kind of where the pillow contract became kind of a really big thing um and it's 
started to become a thing in in other sports and um like here it's becoming quite a big thing in english football and basically what it is and i'm gonna probably say this quite wrong it's well actually i'm gonna take a quote from this and this quote is a direct quote from scott boras who is a sports agent and a former baseball player and he says the pillow is for restful sleep and not designed for extended periods now i'm not necessarily sure if it's a restful sleep but essentially the idea is that you are in like a good team you go to for whatever reason maybe you've not performed as well there's been issues blah 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 blah. you will then go to maybe a not so good team for a shorter period of time so maybe in like a year kind of see how it goes if it goes well you can have two choices you can either stay at the team or because you've done well it will then allow you to go back up the field and one of the examples that they've used here is actually with Jesse Lingard and when I was reading the article I was like oh my goodness this really relates to kind of Daniel Ricciardo's situation and a lot of sports people's situations so Jesse Lingard is, is, is an English footballer and he had a very successful loan at, um, at West Ham in 2020-2021 and this is continuing on from what the Athletic the article says that it says then his final year at Manchester United didn't showcase his talents in the way he would have wished. Instead of taking a longer term deal elsewhere he chose to sign a 12 month highly lucrative deal at newly promoted Nottingham Forest. So kind of like Daniel Ricciardo, you know, he had a really good time at, obviously, Red Bull. He went to Renault. 2019 Renault was okay. 2020 at Renault was an absolutely amazing year, actually, for him. He did super well, went to McLaren. McLaren hasn't really lived up to the expectations, I think, on both sides, apart from the win and actually a, a decent second part of the season. He's not really been able to replicate the second half of 2021. And so obviously they've parted ways. So for him, apart from Alpine, the rest of the teams would technically be a step down. But what it does do is it kind of gives you this opportunity. And what the athletic goes on to say, and this is like I said, in terms of Jesse Lingard, it says... That Nottingham Forest will get an England international with no commitment to continue paying him Premier League wages if they do not survive in the top flight next season. And Lingard effectively bets on himself to succeed and gain another well-paid deal next summer. Now, reading between the lines, I talked to some different people in this article and they basically say one of the main things you have to do is essentially you're taking a bet on yourself, Right. You're saying that I'm going to be do well and that you're effectively betting on yourself and your talent. What I would say is I think to any sort of sports person, you have to bet on yourself and you have to believe in your talent because otherwise you shouldn't really be in the sport. And I think that, and a lot of people have said this about Daniel Ricciardo when it was announced he was, you know, him and McLaren were parting ways. A lot of people said that he has got the talent and he deserved to be in F1. This is coming from other drivers and team principals. And I think that's a really interesting kind of thing is that obviously they see that he still has some talent and that he's not lost it. 
So I think if I was if I was Daniel Ricardo, I would probably bet on myself and say, do you know what? Yeah, I I I think I can. I still got this, and I think I can do well, and take maybe a step down. Because the thing is, I think a team that would suit him quite well could be Haas. Um, if you look at Haas last year to compare Haas this year, for them to be in the position that they're in now is absolutely crazy. You would not believe it. Currently, I mean, they are quite close to Alpha Tauri, but they are essentially seventh in the constructors. If you told me that Haas would be seventh in the constructors last year, I would have thought, I, I, I don't know. But they are. And I think, you know, if you're going to take a bet on it, it could be a decent one. You know, Williams maybe. I don't... Alfa Romeo even, I even though I do think Alfa Romeo are probably going to re-sign Guan Yuzhou, but it is another seat open, which is a step back, essentially. I think it... Why not? Bet on yourself. Bet on your own talent. Like I said, you don't lose talent overnight. There seems to be a lot of people in that paddock who still believe in Daniel Ricciardo and his talent. Back yourself. Go for a year. If you do well and you do some standout performances, I mean, look, we, we were talking about this, right? Yeah, for a top team, scoring 10th place isn't what you want. You expect podiums, you expect wins, you, ex- you expect a lot higher. But if you go into a... If you told me last year that Haas would be scoring points or that Williams or whoever, people would be like, ha ha, really? No. People didn't expect that. So you go into a team, score a couple of good top 10 finishers, people all of a sudden will be like, oh my God, he's the best thing since sliced bread. And then all of a sudden you've got a top team knocking at your door saying, hey, hi, um, would you like to come and um, be part of our team? Or if it is going really well and the team is getting better, obviously you think, well, it's only going in an upward trajectory at the moment, why not? Why not stay for another year? So I definitely think a pillow contract could work quite well for Daniel Ricardo, but obviously it's his decision. We can't make it. But if I was him, I'd be like, Daniel, sign a pillow contract, babes. Do it. Back yourself. Also, it, I saw Gunter says basically, oh, you know, it's up to Daniel to like basically make decisions. So I'm like... Haas obviously wouldn't mind signing your babes. I'd say sign it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I mean, Drive to Survive would be very happy with that. I'm sure the producers would be like, yes, Gunter and Daniel in one team. We'd have so much content. So, I mean, Drive to Survive would be happy about that. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Anyway. Enough about Daniel Ricciardo and pillow contracts on Silly Season. Let's talk a little about it. About. That was a bit weird. Don't know why I spoke like that. See, it's what happens when you're too relaxed. The weirdness all comes out. <laughs> 2023 calendar has been released. And um, 
24 races, which is a lot. And apparently it, it was supposed to be a bit more conscious um, of the environment and they're going to group them a bit more together. I mean, technically, they are a little bit more grouped together, but probably not as much as it could be. And I saw this really, really good tweet, actually, from Laura Leslie. Her at is at Laura Leslie F1. And she kind of has actually grouped them by region um, and kind of given, like, essentially dates that would work quite well. Um... And then, so she says, group together by region, save travel time, more sustainable. Introduce rotating race teams who would like to, who would take it turns per leg. So that reduces fatigue. And then we work budget cap to cover costs of extra personnel. So minimum wages, etc., to ensure staff get a fair deal. It's a really interesting, like, Twitter thread. I will, like, link it. Um, I definitely think it's worth a look. And... I thought it was, like a lot of people, I don't necessarily know if 24 races, just adding more races is the key. I think making Formula One more accessible and choosing more variety of races might be good. Um, I think it was, I believe it was Zach Brown who, was it last year? Also suggested that they almost have like a rotation on on some of the tracks, so it kind of the, the um so you could have more tracks available to use, but and then it's kind of done a rotation, so like every year is actually slightly different, and I think that could work quite well um, in Formula One. I also think, for me, the sweet spot of races per season is probably about 20. I think 20 is, like, a good a good amount. Um, I do think if you're going to have more races, you need to have bigger teams because you can't have this. Like, it's just too much. Anyway, I have rambled on for a very long time, but is that what you do when you have a chat? It's good to have a catch up. <laughs> anyway, we are back to racing this weekend. I'm so excited. We are in Singapore for the first time since 2019. It's going to be a sweaty race. Um, it's always humid and just sweaty and a bit like, oh, but... um. I can't wait to watch some racing. Don't even know what it's going to be like because we've not been there since 2019. So I don't, I can't, don't have really many predictions. I just hope it's going to be a fun race. I, I really do. Um, but anyway, after listening to me blab for what seems like an eternity, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go finish my cup of tea. But thank you for spending this time with me chatting. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts, feelings, emotions about some of the areas that we talked about today, let me know. Until then, I hope you enjoy your week. I hope you're prepared for Singapore. Until then, I will see you in the next one. 
Bye.